Welcome to another episode of Making Magic with your host, Bradley Morris from Magic Media. This is the go-to show for purpose-driven creators to get inspired with innovative new ideas to produce your educational content, build thriving online communities, and turn your message into a movement. And today we have Justin Blackman from prettyflycopy.com. And Justin is a copywriter, but not just any copywriter. He doesn't just write words. He writes silly things, witty things. He writes marketing things. He writes messaging things. And, you know, rarely do I come across a website that I actually want to read every page. But when I found Justin's site to interview him for this, I was really excited because his uniqueness comes through in every word he writes. Now, Justin has the ability to analyze the voice of companies and entrepreneurs and people, and he's written for more than 329 different people, causes and companies over the years. And so he's developed a knack for really helping people to bring their personality to the words they're sharing on the screen. And that's a lot of what we want to talk about is how can you bring your personality even more through the words that you're writing, whether it's on social media, whether it's on your website, or even as you're developing online courses. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce you all to Justin Blackman. Justin, welcome to the Making Magic podcast. That's a heck of an intro, man. I sound good. You are so cool. So <laughs> I like that. It's yeah. true. Yeah. All of it's true. All of it is so true. I am amazing. <laughs> Go <laughs> on. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. It's it's nice to meet an internet personality on the internet who has personality. So way to go with that. Mission accomplished. I appreciate um, that. Now, for you, was your background in writing? Did you grow up wanting to be a writer? Was writing something you stumbled into? What's the backstory behind writing for 329 different people? Well, the writing, the fascination with writing really started with stand-up comedy. Um, even like as a little kid you know, growing up in the early 80s, um, there was so, it was like the, the height of comedy. It was everywhere. There was Rascal's Comedy Hour. There was the MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour. And I was just sort of obsessed with comedians and their their views on things. And I really got focused on the way that they structured their sentences and kind of dove into the analysis of that. Even as a kid, I was like, there's something interesting about the way that they're phrasing things. Um, it, it could either be like weird, strange things that like, you know, how he, how he Mandel before he went weird um, or actually when he was even more weird um, back when he had hair, <laughs> just like his zaniness and the way that he would phrase things and repeat different phrases um, that always stuck with me. And I learned to do that more and more sort of inherently. It became ingrained in my general personality. And I started reading about how to write comedy. Um, then as I got older, I went into field marketing. So like the sampling programs, I worked for Red Bull for six years. So like the Mini Cooper with the big can on the back. We were doing, uh, we were speaking to thousands and thousands of people. And as I was training my team, I found ways to incorporate the, the comedy style into the sampling. And I was like, wait a minute, there's something here. Uh, eventually I moved into copywriting, which I didn't really know was a, a thing, um, and started writing. And I realized that all the rules for comedy applied directly to copywriting. The rules were almost identical. And I was like, I know how to do this. So <laughs> sort of dove in and 
uh, began working for some bigger brands, did really well over there. And then, you know, I was sort of brought in to write for, for different people. Uh, I had an agency reach out to me saying, can you write in different voices? And I was like, yeah, I think so. So we tried it and uh, I did a couple of test projects for them. And they said the first that I was the first person in three years to nail the project on the first try. And Amazing. Like, All right. Yeah. I was like, okay, maybe I'm pretty good at this. So, <laughs> so what are some uh, of the, the techniques or the ways that you approach uh, storytelling and writing that relate to how you approach stand-up comedy? There's different ways to look at things. And, you know, when, when it comes to writing for comedy, the, because like the average comedian on a, like an open mic has three to five minutes, you need to be as funny as possible, which means telling as many jokes as possible. So you focus on word economy, writing short and tight and cutting out any extra words, because over the course of five minutes, cutting out one word from each sentence could mean an extra joke. And yeah. it just, it becomes tighter, punchier, and more powerful. And a lot of good copywriting is like that as well. So I've always written short and punchy. Um, I, I can get super nerdy into stats, but like my average sentence is about eight words long, which is about half the length of most people. Most people are about wow. 16 to 22. Yeah. So I cut uh, all the extra words <laughs> and it makes my writing interesting. Uh, it makes the sentences more powerful. I cut out a lot of extraneous sentences and it just, uh, it makes more room for for more jokes, really. <laughs> it's what an art form too to refine and distill it down to the exact most necessary words to get the point across in the most powerful way you can. Or yeah, the funniest it, way you can if you're joke telling. And it's not even the jokes are there. But to be fair, I don't write funny for most of my clients. I yeah. tend to put more humor in for myself because I, I like doing it. But it's not even just in in writing, like if you look at TED Talks, the timing on the jokes per minute, and uh, so this has actually been calculated, like for the top 10 TED Talks, the cadence of the jokes is the same or if not greater than the movie Airplane or The Hangover. So like there are more laughs per minute in a TED Talk than there are in some of the best comedies of all time. Isn't that impressive? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Now, to be well, fair, the quality of the TED Talks, it's not just about the humor. There's a great message underlying it. It's just a way of educating and entertaining at the same time. Yeah, that is definitely uh, with Magic Media and all the different courses we've produced. Um, our entire philosophy is based around using entertainment as the vehicle to teach people and transform lives. That, yeah. that if you can make people smile or if you can get them excited to watch something, they're going to be way more opening to open to receiving the message that's coming across. There's a great line by a man named Kevin Rogers. And I don't know if he's the one that came up with it, but uh, he studied this. He is, he was a road comic for 10 years and now he's one of the top copywriters out there and teaches a whole copywriting community. He pointed out that the highest point of listening comes after a laugh. Huh. And, and it's true because like you you're, you laugh, you're engaged, and then you, then there's just a silence that takes over, and the whole room is looking at you, and they're waiting to hear what you say next. Yeah, amazing, and that's the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's beautiful. And so, I mean, a lot of people are like, okay, well, I'm not funny. 
but <laughs> what's the difference between being funny and infusing your copy with personality? Yeah, you don't have to be funny. You can still be fun. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, I don't really have a lot of personality in my writing. Well, you do. Just that personality is boring. So <laughs> you can change that around. There are a lot of easy wins. Um, one of the, the low-hanging fruit, which I always tell people to do, is like memes and GIFs. And we can fight over it's GIF or GIF if you want. I, I'm going to say GIF. Uh, I'm on uh, GIF side as well. All right, cool. Team. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> so we've got that angle. Uh, then you can also, uh, pepper in pop culture references. So I've, people that follow me know that I make a lot of Muppet references and that's because that was my childhood and I'm always throwing in like Kermit and Fozzie references when I can. Um, so things like that. And if you, if you ever see me on video, I have a poster, uh, not a poster painting behind me of Super Grover. And that. It's like, you know, nowadays with everybody on Zoom, whenever there's like a cat that enters into the frame, everyone's like, oh my God, is that a cat? Show me the cat. And like everyone just drops their professionalism. Yeah. <laughs> Super Grover is my cat. <laughs> so um, that's that acts as a way like people get on me and it's just like behind my shoulder. And I was like, oh my God, is it Super Grover? And they just start telling stories about their childhood. So um, funny. Instant like trigger I'm a child again. I'm back to three. I love this. Yep. Everybody's got it. And I've also got. Smart. Yeah, I've got like, it, it was actually there. I discovered that as an accident. Um, the painting was in my daughter's room and she took it down and wanted to put up a poster of Jojo Siwa, which killed me. <laughs> um, but I had the painting and I was like, well, I don't know where to put this. And I literally just put it on the table behind me and got on a call. And the plan was to move it. And then. The, like the second that happened when they saw it and that they just melted and like, be like, Oh, tell me about super Grover. Um, I was like, okay, that's going to stay right there. And it's been behind me ever since. <laughs> now you're producing your first course right now. Is, is super Grover part of the course as well? <laughs> He's in, is he, in? I'm trying to think if he makes an appearance. Uh, well, he does in a video because it's behind me as I record yeah. it. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yes, I just incorporated him even more. Because I was talking to someone and I made this like really creepy voice where it sounded like I was just like this, this like weird stalker dude. I was like, so tell me about that. And it, it just became weird. And I'm watching this and I was like, what the heck just happened? And I was like, I got to acknowledge that. Otherwise, I just look awkward. So <laughs> I made like a thought bubble come out of Super Grover's head behind me. <laughs> I was like, what was that? <laughs> So I was like, this is fantastic. Now he can be my my inner monologue right there. It's, I mean, you nail it right there. The ability to make fun of ourselves, make fun of um, just pop culture, make fun of things that humans do um, and not take things so seriously. It's such a powerful way to disarm people and to just like bring a little bit of trust. It's like, oh, okay, this person's like not pretending to be perfect. This is this is great. Yeah, you show them a little bit of the inside. And, you know, pop culture references are easy. You can do drop song lyrics into your copy. Uh, that's a fun way to do it. Uh, movie references are always great. And, you know, there's a couple of, of universally loved movies. And there's The Sandlot. There's The Goonies. Um, you can do Star Wars, Harry Potter. Uh, Princess Bride, things like that. Everybody loves those movies. Yeah. So 
it's I use those movies because I love them. Um, you know, I've made references about like Lloyd Dobler. Um, it's just, and I get so many more comments and replies from the emails where I do that, where people start telling me their connections and it just sort of builds a common ground that, uh, that just attracts people. Amazing. Um, now, as far as uh, creative process goes, I was reading something on your website and you were talking about embracing constraints and how you've got a set of counterintuitive rules. Um, and I would love to talk about how limiting yourself can be the key to becoming more creative because, you know, we have a lot of people that come into our community and our membership who are like, I'm not usually a creative person and I find this really hard to try and be more creative. So maybe you've got something here, a key for them to be able to open that up inside of themselves. The best thing you can do is to not try to think out of the box and instead make your box smaller and figure out a way that you can do something that nobody else can because of the challenges that you face. And, you know, it's, this is going <laughs> to be uh, oxymoronic right here. Um, you know, we can talk about Southwest Airlines. The irony is everybody talks about Southwest Airlines, but the way that they embraced their creativity was uh, was focusing on the constraints where they needed to turn around their planes faster because they went from three having three airplanes to two, but they still wanted to run the same amount of flights. And they realized that they could change the boarding time. They couldn't change their in-air time, but they could change their time at the gate and they sped up the process. And that was them embracing their constraint. Again, if you go to a marketing convention, you're going to hear that, or a marketing conference, you're going to hear that story a dozen times because we can talk about anything, but we all wind up talking about the same thing. When, when you embrace the constraint of, I want to talk about constraints without using Southwest Airlines or without using something about the New York Times or Apple, because every, run, every uh, presenter is going to talk about them, you find really interesting things. Like you can find a story about uh, Professor Louis Agassi, who taught students how to um, become intuitive uh, scientists without using any uh, scalpels or microscopes, just by looking at, there's a, there's a story where it says, look at your fish, where basically he gives a student eight days to look at a fish using nothing but their eyes and a pencil. And discover everything that they can. And essentially they come up with everything that someone with a scalpel and a microscope would have. Amazing. That not that so cool? I mean, kids nowadays would be so bored spending eight days staring at a fish, but yeah. the, the idea of just stepping away from, from how we would normally do things and doing it in a different way is amazing. Um, well, and, see, that's and the thing. Where you yeah, said that the kids today would be bored. They were yeah. back then too. This was in the 1850s. And it, they had a classroom and he literally said, look at your fish. The professor said, look, look at your fish and then left for four hours. And the students were bored out of their minds. So they went up to the chalkboard and they started drawing cartoons of the fish. And then like they would draw it and someone would be like, wait, no, you drew eyelids on it. There are no eyelids on the fish. And they're like, wait, so what, what do they have? And then they would all go and they would look at their fish and figure out what the eyes were. And then they'd go and they draw it on the board. They'd be like, well, no, the scales are different. You drew them going up and down. They go left to right. And like, well, why is that? So out of their boredom, they kept going back and going deeper and deeper and figuring out more. Isn't that so cool? I like that it became a team project as well. 
Yeah. So, yeah, we do a lot of the, um, every few months we'll do um, uh, like cash prize challenges inside of our community where we will create very specific creative constraints where whether it's uh, we're going to make a trailer for your course or we're going to create the best vlog you possibly can. And there's time constraints. There's a limitation on how long the video can be. There'd be a limitation on when the when the video is due. Like we try and pl- create a creative focus for people that they can't go outside of that box. They have to bring it inside. And it's amazing uh, how much people can get done when those those creative limitations are placed on them and how creative they can be inside of those limitations. Mm-hmm. Dr. Seuss wrote Green Eggs and Ham using only 50 words. That's pretty impressive. One of the most popular books of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, it's so fun. So... <laughs> With uh, with the idea of um, like using underlying tones, this was something I saw on your website as well in your copy, and you're talking about secret confidence killers. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, there are, depending on on the animal that you want to use, there are um, there's there are things that we call hedge words, or you can call them weasel words, which weasel has a little bit more of a negative effect to it. Um, and it's words like just, maybe, some. And there, if you follow great copywriting rules to the T, you will never use the word just. And you will never use some. You want to make definitive statements. That makes you sound bolder and it makes you sound authoritative. And it makes you come across as having tremendous confidence. On the flip side, it can also make you sound like a tremendous douchebag. Because <laughs> it, it doesn't allow room for exceptions. It makes you sound cocky and brash. Uh, so if you use those hedge words too much, you become weak. If you never use them at all, you become authoritative. Hmm. I, I like to try to find the exact balance of where it is. The same thing with passive voice, where um, it's either you do something or something had been done to you. Passive would uh, be like um, the uh, the the cat. Uh, my cat was stolen from me. Versus, um, she stole my cat. So um, it's ways of assigning blame to someone or choosing to accept the blame. Little things like that can, by restructuring a sentence, you can build empathy for the audience or with the with the audience. Uh, you can have the audience build empathy for you if that's the angle that you're going for. Uh, or you can become more of a professor and, and speak with the confidence and give guidance. Yeah. Um, I, I historically wrote very tentatively where I would, back in the day when I was just starting to write, if I was talking about an idea, I would always give credit to someone else and that's you should do that if it's their idea for sure. But I rode other people's authority because I didn't feel like I had my own and I diminished my own value where, um, as, as I was growing up or as I was growing in my career, people would come to me and I would downplay my authority by always, uh, by always relying on other people's words and quoting them, even though I, I had my own way of saying it. I always be like, oh, that's not my idea. That's so-and-so's idea. Mm-hmm. And little by little, I've, as I've grown, I've adapted the ideas into my own way 
And now I can present them with the authority and stake my claim in the ground. And, uh, and I am much more confident in it now. And, and just imagine the brain cells you're saving, not having to memorize every single person you're quoting. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Uh, I don't have very many brain cells to begin with. So yeah, I'm putting them to better use. Good. You're putting them to better use, writing better yeah. words that are your own. That's right. And I have more to drown in bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so funny. So when you sit down to do some writing, like let's just say you're going to write a newsletter or something like Do you write newsletters? You must write newsletters. Uh, uh, mostly longer emails now. But okay. I have absolutely written newsletters in the past. Okay, so longer emails. When you sit down to write one of those emails, what is what is the creative process you typically go through if there's a repeatable pattern? You know, it's like you drink your coffee, you sit with a journal, you write. Like, what's the what does that process look like before you put something out? I typically have one idea or one word or one line that I focus everything around. Uh, like, I've, for instance, I've got one that I need to write. It's been in my head for a while and I don't know where it's going to go, but I know that it's going to be a good email as soon as I write it. And it's about um, backward lyrics in like if you play music from the 80s backwards, how they're supposed to be these subliminal lines that were recorded in there. Um, and I don't really know where to go with this, but I know that I want to talk about it. And I know that there's a way for me to tie it back into really what we were just talking about, the secret underlying competence killers in your writing. So I know that there's a direct connection between these two, but I don't know what it is yet. That's it. That's all I need to begin. I just have to have one idea and know where vaguely where I want it to go. The rest I'll figure out as I'm writing. I don't have an outline for it. I'm not going to script it. It's just going to be a terrible first draft. Yep. I'm going to keep going. There's going to be typos. There's going to be mistakes. If I know that there's a funny line in there, I'm just going to write the word joke and I'll go back and I'll put it in afterward. But nice. the, the first one is really just a brain dump to get it out and figure out what the connection is and then tighten it up later. Yeah. And do you usually do a few drafts like you'll you'll keep whittling it down until you feel happy or is there... Um, when you go back through and check your work, is it mostly just intuitive? Like this doesn't feel right and you scrap it or... Uh, I try to stick to three drafts because if I don't limit it to that number, I will do about 74. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Just keep picking away at it. It's like, oh, we're back down to eight words. Great. Yep. <laughs> and really it comes back to like what I was talking before about the comedians with the word economy. I keep just whittling and whittling and whittling until I get it perfect, but it doesn't need to be perfect. It's an email that's going to go out once. It's not a joke that I'm going to be telling a thousand times. Yeah. But I, my problem is, is I approach everything like it is. And uh, I like to edit. It's one of my favorite things to do, but yeah. it drives me mad. Yeah. And now I guess, you know, if your average sentence is eight words long, um, mm -hmm. you must be really good at writing headlines and email subject lines. Um <laughs> What's, what is, this is the, this is the million dollar question with, you know, email open rates going down every year. What is the secret sauce to headlines and email subject lines? Write a lot of them. That's it. Um, so I don't know if, how deep you went on my website, but 
I had a project where I wrote 100 headlines for 100 different companies for 100 days. Over the course of 100 days, I wrote 10,211 headlines. That's so crazy. <laughs> and I will tell you, none of them, in none of the first few that I wrote on any day were any good. They were all just a basic, like, how to do this, how to do this without this, the, the X for Y, who likes to do Z. All just the generic garbage that we see all over the internet. And that's, that stuff can work. But if you want to get a really good line, you've got to write a lot. Um, you know, people say like, write 10 headlines. I'm going to tell you right now, if you write 10 headlines, you're not going to get a great headline. People say write 30 headlines. If you do this, 28 of them will be pure garbage, but two are going to be gold. Amazing. Out of, out of the, and the thing is, you're not trying to write 30 good headlines. You're just writing garbage. And then you figure out like, suddenly you're going to get to one word and you'll be like, oh, wait, that's interesting. Let me play around with this. And then you write six based off of that word. That's going to lead you to another word. You're like, wait, what if I can connect this word and that word? And then you come up with something there. And then all of a sudden the gold starts to come out. Mm. Isn't it so fun the way those those connections happen when we just put a bunch of garbage down and suddenly different words will pop out yes. and it strings this incredible other beast together. It's just like, ah. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yes, but if I would have stopped <laughs> at the first one. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like people are like, I can't write 30 headlines. You can if you give your permission self to write 28 awful ones. Yeah. If you try to write 30 good ones, you're done. I mean, out of the 100 headlines that I wrote every single day, I'd say the best days, I got 14 usable lines. Yeah. That's a 14% success rate on my best day. So, so it's, it's not going to be good. So we're going to have to name this podcast episode. So, you know, like one name, one comes up to one idea comes to mind is like 98% of what you write is garbage. And then that's, that's the title. Do you think people will watch that? <laughs> would <it be> offended? <laughs> well, you know what? I prefer that over 98% of what Justin writes is garbage. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. No, no. Everything Justin writes is gold. That's why he has no. over 300 clients. Say, can you well, write for me? You've only seen the two percent. That's gold, right? Nobody so you've actually written. You've written for twelve thousand different people, but three hundred of those people have actually <laughs> like been noteworthy. <laughs> Even less than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> the truth is, like when I talk about the confidence killers early on, when I was talking about other people's uh, like writing on their authority, when I began that project, the headline project. Um, you can see everything there. It's all up at theheadlineproject.com, everything from day one to, to day 100. Um, but you also see my confidence level change as we go. But the way that I developed my authority was I uh, basically I, I addressed that I didn't know what I was doing and I just wanted to see what would happen. And we're just kind of making it up as we go. But then as I was discovering things, I was solving the problems in public and people are like, oh my God, I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, I didn't either. We just we just figured it out. So I brought people on the journey with me. And now they come to me to teach them because they know that I did it. Yeah. That I mean, that's a that's a hell of a challenge to go through. I'm sure it must have made you go slightly crazy, at least a little yeah. bit. It was uh it was challenging for sure. It was, How does somebody return from that, you know? Um I didn't write for three months afterward. 
Uh, other than what I had to do for my job, I didn't take on clients. I was burnt out yeah. and I didn't want to talk about it. Um, it wasn't, I'll tell you the, the success of that challenge would, didn't come until really six months later. Amazing. When you were ready, like you were rested up, you're like, okay, what's mm-hmm. next? Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was so done with it. I was like, I don't even want to talk about headlines. I don't want to look at it. I want to write about it. I just didn't want to do anything with it. I was done. And, so uh, funny. But now I'm back and I still have all the knowledge that I learned. And that's actually what's been able to make me find hooks easier for writing yeah. for other people. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I can just use that line that I wrote on like day 44, day 44. And Amazing. I can create an entire email from that. Wow. Now, you, I mean, you're clearly a brand ventriloquist to be able to speak on behalf of so many different people and entrepreneurs and be able to uh, get their voice down because, mm-hmm. you know, every company has a different brand personality. They have a different voice. They have a, a tone that they want to come across and how they write. And so what is like, I mean, obviously this would probably be an entire um, deep dive course that you could write on how to find your voice or how to mimic the voice. But um, what is what are some of the ways that you approach uh, being a ventriloquist for companies like to, to get their voice right? Well, uh, I'll tell you, and there actually is a course on this. <laughs> so Perfect. I have a co-instructor for it. This is, this is um, a commercial break, so you're welcome <laughs> to finish it. That's the Codex. It's codexpersona.com. And that's uh, really what we do is we teach a framework. And voice isn't some woo-woo, mystical, like ethereal feeling about the way that you write. Voice is a measurable component. And you can break it down into three elements. It's your vocabulary, so the level of words that you're using, the tone, which are the emotions that you're writing with, and the cadence, which is the sentence length and like the rhythm of your writing. So it's vocabulary, tone, and cadence. Um, I've got what's called the brand ventriloquist framework, which is WTF, uh, which is uh, your words, your tone, and your frequency. So (laughs) WTF is your voice? No, WTF is your voice words, tone, and frequency. By playing with these three levers, so if you're using like basic vocabulary that's like an eight-year-old can understand, or whether you're speaking like a college professor or a uh, politician or, uh, you know, someone in the legal profession, uh, up in the more the advanced level, you're going to fall somewhere on the scale uh, from, you know, from grade zero to grade 16. Uh, You're going to, you're going to be somewhere on that on average. The emotions, and that's, you can have confidence, you can have joy, uh, fear, anger, Um, you can be analytical, you could, uh, there's just, there's all types of different emotions that are in your personality that come across. And then the cadence is really just the sentence length. Like, I know my sentence is super short. When I'm writing for someone that their average length is double mine, I just know that I'm not going to use as many periods as I am, as I am commas. So my punctuation is going to change accordingly. And the way that I structure sentences together where like I typically write one thought per sentence. Yeah. Another person might do one thought per sentence, but also this thought. So there's two linked together. I know that I need to change my structure to match theirs. And by doing this and by playing with these three different levers and just moving them up and down, I've been able to adjust my style to write like anyone. That's so impressive. I mean, what a cool skill. <laughs> it's pretty like cool just, when you figure it out. 
writing for all genres. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, been able to write for a lot of really well-known people, some strong personal brands. And I also create what's what are called voice guides where essentially like, you know how a, a designer has their, their brand guide for the size of their logo and their Pantone colors and how many pixels the logo needs to be away from everything else. And it's ultra specific. Yeah. I create that for writers where your average lines, per, the average uh, thoughts per sentences, the emotions, the words that you typically use, your, uh, whether using passive voice to describe certain things and just the, the repeatable patterns that are in someone's writing, I document those. So essentially it goes back to putting constraints on it by telling a writer exactly how this person writes and not giving them free reign to, to, to change things. We're able to scale a professional person's voice. Amazing. And uh, you have a, a piece uh, on your website around sound, simple ways to sound more like your favorite entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, do you mind touching on that? Sure. And that really comes down to establishing that vocabulary tone and cadence. Um, the, the, really, the key is to adjust your writing to sound more like theirs. The, you can analyze your average writing style. Um, and there are tools to do this. Uh, I can, I can send out a link afterward for a download where you can, you can find out some stuff. Um, we can do, uh, you can use like the Hemingway app to figure out your average readability and that's your vocabulary. And then you can use a site called analyze my writing, which will tell you your cadence and your average words per sentences and how you punctuate things. And uh, then you can also use a tool by IBM Watson uh, to discover your uh, the, the tones and the emotions. And you can run some of your favorite authors or entrepreneurs copy through this to figure out where they fall on the scale and then adjust yours accordingly. Hmm. It's, uh, I, I love how deep down the rabbit hole you've gone to geek out on this stuff. I mean, <laughs> even these apps that you're recommending here, like, shit, I got to do this. Yeah. I got to get on this stuff. I've been missing I out. Seen, I haven't seen daylight in years. I'm way <laughs> down. You're very, very pale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So one more, one more quick question. Well, two more, one and a half more quick questions. So the first one is the three most powerful words in your copy. Uh, I think we all need to know this and it's not free. <laughs> I'm assuming it is not free. Oh, so, man, I've been using the wrong word. <laughs> um, so there's, uh, I'm trying to remember the order. I'm, I'm doubting myself right now. So it really kind of depends on who you ask. Um, imagine is a great one because you're asking people to paint a picture in their mind and you can future pace where they are. You can draw emotions, you can get vivid pictures, and you can cement your place in their brain by making them feel and, and picture a, a, a certain way or, or phrase. Hmm. So imagine's a big one. Uh, you is, is big. Uh, put in you as much as you can without sounding creepy. <laughs> uh, so really the idea behind that is if it could be like, uh, rather than saying we do this, uh, or we help people do this, um, change we we give to you get, and just restructure the phrase to 
put the reader as the center of attention rather than talking about what you do. It's all about what they get. So putting the word you in there is, is, is huge. Uh, and the third one is because. And this was based off of a test. I don't know if you've ever read the book uh, Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. Uh, it's sort of like a copywriting staple. There was a test done where someone was at like a, a Kinko's, like a copy place. And they had a stack of paper and there was a line at the printer and like say six or seven people deep. And they kept testing this and they just went over and says, do you mind if I have, uh, do you mind if I get in front of you? I have some copies to make. And I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but let's say that two out of 10 people said, sure. Then they also tried, do you mind if I get in front of you? And like one out of 10 said, sure, go ahead. Then they said, do you mind if I get in front of you because I have copies to make? Everyone had copies to make, but they explained what they were doing and put in the word because, and they got, I think like six out of 10 people said, sure. That's crazy. Even though the back half of the sentence didn't change, just making that little link of because let people in. It just, it it rationalizes everything. Even if the back end is totally irrational. It just makes that little word because makes it seem like, yeah, okay, they, they've got a reason. doesn't matter what the reason is. It just justifies the fact that you have a reason and you can use it. I start using that more often. Yeah. A lot yeah, of copywriters do. Yeah. I'm going to be working that all day with my wife today. We'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah. That'll be the, <laughs> that'll be a follow-up case study. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. Yeah, totally. I will. I will. You'll be the first to know. Nice. Um, do you, uh, before we go, do you have any favorite writing exercises that you like to assign people, anything like that to get people more into a creative state or just uh, for the purpose of exploration? Uh, there's a two-person thing that I love to do. And I, it, I do this with my kids all the time when I want to get into the right frame of mind. Like it's a right brain, left brain type thing. Um, where you just count to three, but you go back and forth between them. Um, so it's like, I would say one, you would say two, I would say three, you would say one. And it, it works really well with eye contact. We can try it if you want here. I don't, I've never done it just audi- audibly. Um, but it's be Let's like, do it. one. all right, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. See, you're thinking about it, right? It's not as easy as it's so much. I'm like, don't screw this up, man. This is the <laughs> show. These people are depending on you. Yeah, it's it's so simple, but it makes you because you're trying to think where you are, but you're also trying to think what your the next thing that you've got to do is. So you're like, wait, do I say three? Wait, no, no, like I want to say four, but no, it's one. Uh, wait, no, then he said two. So you you just sort of get in this like weird paralysis state. Until you just go, get in the flow, and then it just becomes easier and easier. You're like, all right, now I'm good. That's great. I'm gonna play with my toddler today. I'm gonna see I how we do. I do with my kids all the time. Yeah, that's I fantastic. Do it. it at the dinner table. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. Um, so this has been great. I mean, we've had like 39 minutes, and I feel like we've covered so much ground here. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, uh, and I'm I'm really excited that we that Rachel introduced us. Yeah, um, I'm happy to be here. It's so cool. 
Now, you have a course that you're producing right now. Do you want to talk about that? Because I think people will be interested. Sure. Uh, it's being revamped as we speak. Uh, it should be relaunched in mid-May. And that is, I, I the name was a placeholder and I wanted to change it because I hate it, but people love it. It's called uh, Write More personality <laughs> it, it drives me nuts when people like it. But I like just, it. <laughs> thanks. It's uh, but it's like the word funner. I don't like the word funner. But you like, don't like funner. I don't like funner. It's like it, it talks about knowing the rules and grammar, and I'm a firm believer that you need to know the rules and grammar in order to know when it's okay to break them. Otherwise, you just look sloppy. Yeah. So this is about ways to write tighter, to like where to put in jokes, how to be a little bit more fun. You don't have to be funny, but how to be have more fun in copy. Um, the URL is, it will be up at justinblackman.com, but right now it's up at copybydummies.com. <laughs> so, Copy by dummies. Uh, yep. That'll still be there. I'll just have it redirect. So, uh, if you want to check it out, I don't know when this is going live, but it's at copybydummies.com. Um, yeah, the course is currently closed, but it'll be reopened in, in mid-May. Uh, I'll relaunch that with some new videos and new content. You'll get to see Super Grover. Uh, it is designed to be very affordable and, um, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of really fun tricks in there. Amazing. Well, I imagine we'll be launching this in the next, uh, seven to 14 days. I'm trying to keep all these interviews as relevant to the whole COVID-19 lockdown situation that we're all living through right now. So I've heard about that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it happened somewhere on planet earth. I'm not too sure where <laughs> I'm staying indoors regardless, just in case. Good move. Yeah. Just by choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Justin, thanks so much for coming on the show and for sharing so much here today. Really it appreciate it. Pleasure. Yeah, and if everybody wants to check out Justin, you can go to prettyflycopy.com. Easy to remember. All other. people say I'm pretty fly for a right guy. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. Of course. Thanks for tuning in to today's Making Magic podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review. And if you didn't, remember, treat each other how you want to be treated. I invite you to come check out our Magic Media membership at magicmedia.com. That's M-A-J-I-K media.com. Our affordable, all-inclusive membership offers everything a purpose-driven creator could need to produce your educational content, engaging courses, and thriving online communities. The membership includes all of our premium courses, bi-monthly mastermind group coaching, and an inspiring, supportive community of fun-loving, dedicated entrepreneurs and creators to make magic on the internet with. See you there, and tune in next time.